So good morning. How is everyone? Good. He is risen. You know, that is a, that is a decades old saying, uh, among the people of Jesus. And, uh, what a, what an awesome opportunity we have to echo that chorus today. When you think about it for 2000 years, people have been talking about the resurrection of Jesus globally through the generations at family tables and in churches all around the world. And it's because it's the most significant, perhaps, uh, event both physically and spiritually in history. Uh, Today, I want us to look at this thing from John chapter 11, verse 25 and 26. I'm going to give you a chance to kind of turn there. If you need a Bible, there should be one in the chair in front of you. We're going to be in John 11, 25 to 26. I want to talk about the death of death which sounds odd, but you'll get it in a minute, okay? So let's do this. Let's stand up together in honor of God's word. And we say this phrase, the very words at the end of the main text reading, just to distinguish God's word from uh, my own. So here's what the scripture says in John chapter 11, 25 to 26. It says, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? You can be seated. Two verses, but it's, it's packed with a lot. So just before... The plot to crucify Jesus was carried out before the resurrection of Jesus. There was actually another resurrection and it's the resurrection of a guy named Lazarus. Now I realize you didn't gather today to hear about the resurrection of Lazarus. That's not why we celebrate Easter, but I think understanding the resurrection of Lazarus actually helps us understand the heart that Jesus has for each one of us today. So let me just tell you the story to begin with. There are uh, three names you need to know. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus make up a family. They're brothers and sisters. They make up a family in a little town called Bethany just outside the city of Jerusalem. It's about two miles from Jerusalem. According to the biblical text, Jesus is um, really good friends, has really close relationship with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And in this, this John chapter 11, Lazarus dies prematurely. He's, he's not an old, old man and everybody's grief stricken. And they send word to Jesus because they know if there's anybody who could help in this situation, it's going to be Jesus. And so Mary and Martha send word to Jesus. And the, the feeling that we get from the text is that Jesus sort of gets the, the message. And then he hangs out for two more days, finishing up what he was doing. And then he goes to Bethany. So the problem with that is... You know, if you got the message that somebody that you love died, you would you would hurry there. But Jesus didn't exactly, which is interesting. And so by the time Jesus shows up in Bethany, Lazarus has been in the tomb four days, according to the text. So from the time 
heart stopped beating, and then they put him in the tomb four days. Now, that's an interesting and important number for us to understand because at three days in, in that culture, there's what I'm going to call with my best Tennessee vernacular, a hollering in. All right? And what they do is they literally go through this ceremonial hollering into the tomb to make sure not just that this one is dead before they shut the tomb, but that he is dead, dead. Lazarus makes no peep. Uh, they, uh, day three goes by and day four, Jesus shows up. And this is where we pick up the dialogue in John chapter 11, 25 to 26. Martha is talking to Jesus and it's interesting how Jesus uh, cares for her. You, you, you would expect more of a, I'm so sorry about your brother, more, more like that. But here's what we get. If you look at verse 24, it says, Martha said to him, I know he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. She's been asking like, can you do something? Can you, can you, can you make him come back? If you had been here a little bit earlier, you might could have saved him. Sort of all that, that dialogue. And then finally in verse 24, she says, I know that he will be raised on the last day. This tells us a lot about Martha, actually. Martha is an Old Testament girl. She knows the Old Testament backwards and forwards. And because, she, because of her culture, she believes that there will be a Messiah that is going to come. She believes that he will cause a great and last day. And that there will be a resurrection of all God's people on that day. She believes that long term. Now, here's what I'm betting. I'm betting a lot of you came in the room today or you're watching online this morning and you kind of think to yourself the same way Martha was thinking like I know that this faith thing is good for later it's good for that day that I know the resurrection will happen that day but D.A. Carson who's a theologian he, he sums this up really well he says Jesus's concern in John chapter 11 is to divert Martha's focus from an abstract belief in what takes place on the last day to a personalized belief in him who alone can provide it so in the death of Lazarus Jesus's heartbeat is for Martha in a sense and that he wants her. Yeah, your theology is good for the last day, but I want you to know me personally as the one who provides resurrection. So he, you know, she says, I know it's good for the last day. And Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. This is his words to her. Now, this theology of resurrection, it pours out of the book of John. And, and Martha would have believed all these things. John chapter 5, verse 21, it says, For as the Father raises the dead and gives him life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. John chapter 5, 25 to 29. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. 
Do not marvel at this for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and will come out those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Now, this is a common theme throughout the Bible that there will be this day. And the one who has authority will come back and will cause resurrection of all who are in the tombs. And you'll be either raised to life because of the righteousness of Christ or raised in, 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 into judgment uh, because of your lack of faith in Christ. Then John chapter 6, 39 to 40. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of the Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Martha believed all of that theology. She understood it. What she wanted to know was what about Lazarus now? And Jesus wanted to minister to her in this way because he wanted her to get, and this is the gap that he wants to close with many of you today, is that while this resurrection thing is good for that last day, it is good for today. Now listen to what happens. In, in John chapter 11, 21, Jesus simply says, I'm the resurrection and the life. That's an, that's, I mean, if I said to you, in a conversation, hey, I'm the resurrection. You're going to think I'm nuts. Like, what are you talking about? Or I'm the life. I'm the resurrection and the life. It begins to like, think, okay, well, you're saying you are the resurrection. You're not just saying I can resurrect him. You're saying I am resurrection. You're not just saying you can bring dead things back to life. You're saying I am life. And this is Jesus's point with Martha that day before he raises Lazarus from the dead. He wants her to know that he is the source of resurrection power. He is the source of eternal life beyond bodily death. It's Christ who is the life. You realize that this life that is Christ encompasses two sides of death. When you come to Christ, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you're saved. When you come to Christ, whatever age you are, when that happens, you begin to walk in the way, the truth, and the life of Jesus now, these days. But one day your body will die. You know, your, your heartbeat will stop. Your heart will stop. You will die and your soul will leave your body and you will continue to walk in the way, the truth and the life. In fact, the Bible's specific. It's like stepping from one room to the next that he'll lead you through that valley of shadow of death and you'll be in present heaven with him in eternal life. If you died today in Christ, it's life, both sides of bodily death. Jesus is the, the life that is both sides of bodily death. Um, Sometimes we forget this thing. Do you know, uh, I was born into a family. I had no choice which family. I would have liked to be in the Trevino family. But I didn't have a choice. It's not getting hot tamales. I don't, you know, get them in my family. 
I know I didn't have you as my brother. That would have been amazing. But I, I didn't get to pick. I was born to the Haynes family on a, a Air Force base in Warner Robins, Georgia. I didn't, I didn't get to pick. That's, that's where I was. And it was great. I'm grateful. But I had no control over that. Do you know, like, one day I'm going to die. I don't know exactly when that's going to be. And what happens right after I die, I have no control over. You realize that, right? Like, Like, we're saying in faith, we're trusting Jesus to be the resurrection and the life because I can't resurrect myself. I can't grant myself eternal life. I have no control over that. And this is exactly what Jesus is telling Martha that he is. I am the resurrection and the life. John 3.16 gives us motive. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting or eternal life. I mean, Jesus is just pounding this home right before he does the greatest object lesson ever. I'm the resurrection and the life. He says in John chapter 11, verse 25, after he says, I'm the resurrection and the life, he says, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Now, I think that's incredible, too, because it says whoever. It's not like some people, if they were Jewish, born in this particular time frame or, you know, whatever. It doesn't matter your background, your denomination, your sin bent, any of that kind of stuff. It says whoever. It says, for God so loved the world, all the people groups, whoever believes, you know, I can't behave my way to God. Did you know that? There's no amount of good behavior I can like pull off to overcome what is the sin of my life. I can't behave my way to God. Uh, uh, For some of you are like, well, I'm not even trying to behave my way to God. It's okay because you can't be bad enough to not be saved by God. Did you know that? There's nothing that you can do in your life so bad that he can't redeem you. He, He brings dead things to life. That's what he's telling us today. Puts broken things back together. He makes all things new. And so we can't behave our way to heaven. We have to believe in Jesus as the resurrection and life. I mean, that is the work of faith. The work of faith is to believe. And it's this Greek word, pistuo. It's not like I just, I, I just, I, I'm hoping in something. It's like belief that comes out in your hands and your feet. It, it drives you to action, not because you're trying to get to heaven, because you believe in Jesus as the resurrection and the life. And I'll, I'll repeat it because repetition is a good teacher. Like whoever believes in me, though he dies, he shall li- live. Look, God said, for, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. It's just repeated over and over again. But the thing is, the only way to have eternal life is through Jesus. It's just it. So Martha is thinking about that day when Lazarus can be resurrected, but Jesus is teaching her that resurrection is not just a theological concept and truth for later, but resurrection is a person named Jesus. And then he leaves her with this, verse 26. Last part. Do you believe this? Do you 
believe this. And, and really, that's the question that Martha had to wrestle with. She answers the question, yes. That's who uh, everybody throughout history has had to wrestle with. Like, do we really believe this? Do we really believe that Jesus was resurrected from a tomb? Do we really believe that he had the power to tell Lazarus to come out of the tomb? Do we really believe this? It's a big question, and people struggle with the question. I know in church we're supposed to say, yes, we believe this. But I'm telling you, in a, in, in a, a group this size, there are people that are not sure if they believe this. It's okay to doubt. In fact, there was a doubter in Jesus's band of disciples. His name's Thomas. When my, my parents were teaching about him growing up, I thought his first name was Doubting because they always called him Doubting Thomas. It's like his first name was Doubting? No, it's Thomas. But that was this, you know, adjective that modified who, who, who he was. You know, this is, this is Thomas. He, he doubted. And, and for good reason, because, because if you saw someone you loved crucified by a Roman executioner, who knows how to crucify people and 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 you saw them stick a sword a, a spear in his side in the water come out and you saw them bring him down from the cross and put him in a tomb and you thought to yourself he's dead dead he's not just a little dead he's dead dead you would you would have some some doubts well mary and martha are in in john chapter 11 they are uh at this point in Jesus where at, with Jesus where he just said do you believe this in John chapter 11 43 to 44 it says when he had said these things he cried out with a loud voice Lazarus come out and the man who had died came out his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth and Jesus said to them unbind him and let let him go do you believe this if I holler in, nothing's happening. Lazarus, come out. Crickets. Jesus. Is that a cricket? It was, I tried. That's right. Chicken. That was a chicken, the second one. Crickets. You get it, though. I needed, like, an emoji that could pop up. Cricket. Thanks. So if I, I do that, I don't, ha- I don't have that. Jesus calls in and he comes out. This is very different because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And, and Martha now, now knows that this is who this person Jesus is. He's not just one that has one day will carry all these things out, but he's the resurrection and the life today. And that same thing is also true in our lives today. He is resurrecting us. He is restoring us. He is making us new as we come to him, sanctifying us and promising us eternal life. Well, John chapter 11 obviously isn't the only place that Jesus accomplishes resurrection. But in John chapter 20, we see Jesus's own resurrection. And that's why we're here today. Because we want to we hear about this Jesus who rose from a first century tomb. <clears throat> and I think it's important to consider on this day. Think about these things. Jesus said... Before he was arrested, Jesus told his disciples, I'm going to go away. I'm going to be killed. But don't worry, on the third day, I'll come back. I'll, 
I'll be back. Again, if you're having a conversation with somebody, I'm going to die. I know it's coming, but don't worry. On the third day after that, I'll be back. Again, you're, you're, you're looking at that person like, what? They probably didn't completely understand. And then he is arrested. And the temple, the temple, uh, the temple guard, they take him and they try him. And then they, they decide to bring crime, uh, you know, uh, charges of crimes against the, the state, the Roman state. They bring him to Rome. Rome finally decides uh, to execute him. And they do. They take him outside the city and they execute him. And they're experts at it. And they do it very well. And they, they handle it. And they execute. They, they crucify him. And the disciples and and and. And others, they, they saw this. And, and Joseph of Arimathea was there. He had a tomb very near that place. Uh, it was a rich man's tomb. They call it a rich man's tomb because of the location of it. You know, real estate, right? Location, location, location. This tomb is right outside the city walls. So even today, you go to Jerusalem, you see people want their tombs as close to the holy place as they possibly can get it same same time same thing going on there jesus laid in a borrowed tomb it's not even his it's not his family tomb not not anything he's laid in a borrowed tomb they seal the tomb with a stone and they put a roman seal on it they take their signet ring wax and they seal it and if you break that seal, that's punishable by execution, even in itself. And then they post guards by the stone. This is not coming out. Now, if he's dead, dead, why are you worried? Probably because they've heard about the Messiah, the prophecies. Probably because people are buzzing a little bit like, would he, would he raise? No. And so they post guards. But what we find is that, you know, you, you, you always hear how the disciples, they like went away into this house and the door was locked and they were inside kind of hiding out. But not all the disciples did, just the disciples that we think about when we think about the disciples. But the women, they were still checking on Jesus. And they went to the tomb on the first day of the week. And when they got to the tomb, uh, they saw the stone rolled away and that was problematic. So they think so like someone stole the body. They moved the body. What did they do? They didn't assume he rose. Why? Because they saw him crucified. He's dead, dead. And so they run back and they tell Peter and John and John's recording all this. And so in a very polite way, like he says that he and Peter ran back and he says the other disciple and Peter ran back, but the other disciple outran Peter to the tomb. It's like for all of for history, John wanted everyone to know I'm faster than Peter, which uh, is awesome. It tells us how human they were. But John stopped at the entrance. Peter went in because Peter had a little more chutzpah, obviously. He goes in there and he comes out. He's like, not here. Mary has an experience, sees Jesus, and uh, he says her name and she recognizes him when, he's, when he speaks her name. And they, they begin to, this process in the scripture where then he appears to the disciples. And then he appears to 500 eyewitnesses. And we, we begin to see all these people that record seeing him and talking to him. But there is that guy, Thomas. Thomas, the, the doubter, the d- doubting disciple, you know. And, and Thomas, 
if you read John chapter 20, verse 28 and 29, it kind of shows Jesus' encounter with Thomas. Jesus actually comes to the house where they are after his resurrection. And I'll back up uh, to verse 26. It says, eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them, although the doors were locked. Jesus came and stood among them. John, again, is hilarious to me. It's like, well, didn't we have the doors locked? Weren't the alarm set? And yet Jesus is standing right in here, you know? And so that's exactly what Jesus does. Door locked. He shows up anyway. And he says, peace be with you. Shalom. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put your hand and place it in my side. So he's like, okay, Thomas, I know that you're having trouble believing. Why don't you just touch my hands? Look at where they put the nails. Why don't you see where they they thrust the spear in my side? And Thomas sees those things. And then it says, um, it says uh, clearly that Thomas uh, then one of the, the 12, who was the doubter, said this, my Lord and my God. So now he's not Jesus, the, the, the rabbi. The doubter now is saying, my Lord and my God. Now, why does he believe? He believes because he sees with his own eyes. And Peter, I mean, ju- Jesus just just responds to him this very way. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? It's a question mark. Yes, that's why Thomas has believed because he saw Jesus. He saw him crucified. He didn't believe when they said he was resurrected, but now he's seen Jesus and touched his wounds and seen his side. And he believes because he has seen But then Jesus makes this comment that's for all the rest of us. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Look, you weren't there in the first century when Jesus was raised from the dead. You didn't see the wounds in his hands and the the spear thrust in his side. You didn't see that. Thomas did. But you didn't. And Jesus is saying to all of you who have ever believed on him, if you've confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, it says that you will be saved. You're blessed because you've believed even though you didn't see. I wish I had two more hours for a different sermon about how in the world do you hold this account in your hand from 2,000 years ago and get to read it in your own language? How was it preserved that long? How is, it, how is the evidence archaeologically, hist- historically, geographically so clear for the crucifixion and the resurrection and the ascension and all that? It's all so clear. The manuscript evidence is so astounding. There's no other book in the history of the world that has such evidentiary uh, manuscripts Years and years and years and years and years. The only thing close is like the Iliad and the Odyssey. 
The Iliad and the Odyssey, if, if, if I'm just, you know, the Iliad and the Odyssey has about this much manuscript evidence. And if I stacked the manuscript evidence for the, the Bible, the Gospels, it would be from the floor through the roof of this church and up higher. It's so much. And it's a miracle that we even talk about this today. Why do we talk about it? Because it happened. It happened. It shocked the world. See, Thomas believed because he saw. But all of the Bible is this simple message that Jesus is Lord and salvation comes by faith alone in Christ alone. Period. Salvation comes by faith alone in Christ alone. He's like, what is salvation? I, I get in this habit uh, of watching these, these videos that crack me up. And it's this guy. He makes these videos chasing little animals like chickens or little dogs or cats or whatever. And he's chasing with their phone. And he, he always asks this question at the very beginning. He's taking the video and the dog will be looking at him like, what is like? Uh, sir, do you have time for a few questions about your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? And the dog takes off and he chases the dog. You can't run from the Lord. You know, it's funny. Go, go Google it. You'll see. If you hadn't seen already, there are all kinds of animals and they always run. They always run. It reminds me of people like you can't run from the Lord. It's kind of funny because. Religion, especially in the South, like has this like, brother, you got to get saved kind of uh, mentality. And people are like, what is that? Well, salvation, getting saved. Salvation is simply this. The Bible tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've all sinned. We know that. And the wages of sin, what we deserve because of that sin is is death, eternal separation from God. It's very clear. Sheol, judgment, weeping of gnashing and teeth. That's what's fair about sin. Getting saved is, I realize I can't rescue myself from that. Just like I can't control what family I was born into and I can't control what happens the minute my heart stops beating. No control. I cannot rescue myself from my sin. I can't behave my way out of it. I need a rescuer, a redeemer, someone who can take what is my dead sinful life and bring it to life again in a new way. You know, we use that phrase, been born, all, born again. That's what it is. Like Jesus told Nicodemus, the Pharisee, most religious guy in, in, in the book of John. He's got the big long tassels and he knows all the theology. And Jesus is like, you need a big do over, bro. Like born again, born all over again. And that's what we all need to be born again, to be saved, saved from the penalty of our sin, saved from the wrath of God, to be born again into becoming sons and daughters of God. And the only way this happens, the only way we're forgiven of that sin is if we believe in the one who is the resurrection and the life. There's no other way, no other way according to the scripture. So maybe you you came in here and, and you thought, you know, religion is good for one day. 
Maybe like Martha, that last day, it's good for that. And what Jesus was teaching is like, Martha, I'm right here in front of you. I am the resurrection and the life today. And that's the gap he wants to close with you. It's like, yes, the promise is for one day, but it is also for today. And maybe you have, you know, maybe you have something in your life that you would put in the dead category, the dead and sinful category, the painful sufferous wounding category. And you would say, you know what? I need the Jesus that is the resurrection and the life to make that new, to resurrect this, this dead part of me. And give me freedom. You know, some of you, you shelved your faith somewhere along the way. You, you came to Christ and you, you knew him and you, you just kind of shelved it for that last day. Maybe you need to, res- maybe this faith needs to be resurrected in you even today. Because it's not just for the last day. It's for today and tomorrow and the next day. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. And his big question was, do you believe it? Do you believe it? Um, today we put in your worship guide and also we'll show you that QR code at the end of the, the time we have together today. There's one little statement that I care about on that whole thing. There's a place to put your name, phone number, email, whatever you want to give us. But on, that, on there it says, I trusted Christ for salvation today. Some of you are your takeaways. I'm going to go Google those dog videos. Some of you need the takeaway needs to be, I need to trust Christ for salvation. Today. It's not checking the box that does it. It's just, you're letting us know that, that you have placed your trust in Jesus uh, so that we can teach you how to walk with him today. And tomorrow and the next day, um, I would, I want you to fill that out and let us know so we can come alongside you and help you in that, that walk. There's also other things on that card. You can ask for prayer or if you need something, you can, you can say that you, you need something there and it's a safe place where we can really reach back out and help you in any particular way that you might, uh, need. I love that Jesus said, and I'll close with this, look at my hands. Those hands that died for us on a cross and, and, and were raised to walk in a new life, completely new life, are the same hands that reach to you and to me in love. It is clear for God so love the world third time today that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. It's the message of the Bible. These hands of, of Jesus that were wounded for our transgressions, they, they come with love and grace and mercy. And I would just say, um, it's, it's the day you reach out and grab those hands. That's today. Uh, if you never have, if you've avoided it, if you've been in a million church services like this and you've thought, I'm going to white knuckle it out of here one more time. This is the day to surrender, to trust. Would you just bow your head and close your eyes and, and you pray however the Lord would lead you to pray now.
Lord, we are a people that struggles with something so simple. You, you tell us exactly who you are. And you did all the work. To forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And all you ask is that we believe. And so, God, we, we tell you we're a, like Thomas in ways. And so, would you help us by your spirit to believe? We know your word says that we have to believe that you were raised from the dead in order to be saved. And so help us to believe. Father, I pray for people here today and under the, that will hear this teaching either online or by video at some point. God, I pray that you would speak to them about their own life and a way that they can hear. God, help them to run to you and not away from you. Father, we, uh, we want to be a people that live not only with knowledge, but a personal relationship with you, the resurrection and the life. We, we need that hope in the days that we live. We, we need that hope in a culture that propagates death. We need to know you're, you're the resurrection and the life. And so would you just, just, deepen that hope and that peace and that joy in our life that comes from you, the one who is restoring all things. Thank you, Jesus, for enduring the cross. Thank you for overcoming the penalty of sin and death and being raised on the third day. Thank you for ascending to the right hand of the Father and sending your Holy Spirit. And thank you that you're coming back again. We long for the day, but until then, help us to walk with you today. Your resurrection was the death of death. And now we can have life. And we ask that you would bring that to people today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.